KMTT Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Today is Wednesday. We have the weekly shiur on the philosophy of the Vilna Gaon and his school by Havav Aliyakim Kambay. Shalom. We began our series on the Grah with a discussion of the Grah as a person, as a personality, as a leader. Last time, we just began to examine the Gra's views, his de'ot v'hashkafot. This general topic of the Gra's viewpoints on various issues, I think, methodologically, we should divide into two areas. Ethics, on the one hand, and secondly, general worldview, hashkafat olam. In discussing the ethical approach of the Gra, we are asking the question, what should a person be doing during his lifetime? With what, he should, with what should he be occupying and preoccupying himself? The second question of Hashkafat Olam is different. There we are asking, what is the nature of the world in which we live? What is the nature of life? the nature of existence. Of course, these two questions are interrelated, and undoubtedly, the question of what a person should be doing with his life, Ba'olam Hazer, is uh, intric- intricately connected to the question of how we view this world in general. But nevertheless, I think it would be advantageous to consider these two questions somewhat uh, distinctly. Before we get into the topic, I would just add one small point. Where are the Gra's views to be found? The Gra didn't write any book that separately addresses these issues. He didn't have a uh, work like Mesilat Yisharim or uh, Kuzari or any book that's devoted specifically to a systematic presentation of these, uh, of these questions. And what we have from the Gra is his ideas set forth in his Perushim. Usually in his Perushim on books of Tanakh, uh, we have first and foremost his Perush on Sefer Mishlei. Sefer Mishlei by its nature is in the nature of a Sefer Musar. But the Gra's viewpoints on all these issues is set forth also in his Perushim on other works of Tanakh, prophetic works, Sefer uh, Yeshayahu, and even the dramatic historic books of Tanakh, such as Migdat uh, Esther or Sefer Yonah. And if we ask ourselves, why is it that the Gra teaches us his views about life in the uh, using his Perushim on Tanakh, rather than writing separate books on them, or in, the, in his case, dictating separate books uh, on these issues to his Talmudim, I think in the light of what we've seen in the past, the answer is uh, pretty obvious. Because to the Gra, for something to be truly Torah, means that it's based on the ultimate sources. So if the Gra wants to present to us his views 
and prevent and present them as the Amitash of Torah, as Torah in its, all its truth and its veracity, the most natural and the best thing for him to do is to show how these ideas spring forth from Psukim themselves, as Psukim which were written with Ruach HaKodesh or with Ruach HaVnevuah. Let us now proceed and examine the Gra's viewpoints in the ethical realm. Last time we began with this area and we saw that the Gra emphasizes human endeavor. The Gra is opposed to a person sitting back and passively waiting for inspiration or for help from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he put, puts the endeavor of the person, of the individual Jew, at the center of his ethical concern. But what is that endeavor? What does it consist of? What ought a person to be doing? On what should he work so hard? In Sefer Mishlei, the Gra actually divides this question into three parts. There are three things that a person has to occupy himself with. Torah, mitzvot, and midot. Midot, meaning musar, yirat shamayim, the cultivation of piety and religious devotion. Of these three areas, the realm of Torah and the realm of Midot undoubtedly form the two prominent features of the Gra's thinking in the ethical realm. About Torah, we've talked already a good deal, and for now, I'd like to talk about more of the element of Midot and Musar. The Gra, despite the fact that he put primary emphasis on Limud Torah, and he viewed this as the person's main preoccupation, certainly quantitatively, nevertheless, he also put a, pe- put a heavy emphasis on the necessity for a person to work on himself and to make himself continually a better person, Uh, this the Gra considered to be a lifelong endeavor. For example, he writes, Ki ach An evil person, a rasha, he knows fully well that he's on the wrong path. Why doesn't he change himself? Because it's so hard. And because it's so hard, that's what makes this ideal of being a moral and ethical person, of being a pure and holy person, something which is so hard to achieve, and that's what makes it a lifelong endeavor. The Gra goes on to say, He must constantly rein himself in, like some kind of wild horse. Right? Until the day he dies, he has to really uh, suffer by, by expending all this effort on self-restraint in order to overcome his passions. Uh, at first glance, this might sound like some kind of ascetic ideal, a person having to torment himself and withhold uh, pleasure from himself. However, uh, we should emphasize one important thing. 
that the Grah departed from the ideal of aestheticism in an important way. I'd like to continue with the quote which I began beforehand. He said, In other words, the guy is opposed to a person fasting and flagellating himself. So in what way is a person mityaser? In what way does he afflict himself? The Grah is in favor of psychological suffering, which is just another way of saying, perhaps, that a person has to work hard on himself. Uh, it's worthwhile mentioning that the Grah, in this sense, is actually departing, as I uh, hinted at before, from an important tradition which had existed since the time of the Rishonim, at least, in traditional Ashkenazic Judaism, which is the ascetic tradition. Uh, it's known that the movement of Hasidei Ashkenaz, Rabbi Yehuda Hasid, Rabbi Shmuel Hasid, Rabbi Reza Migar the author of the Sefer Harokeach, actively uh, were, uh, propagandized this idea, that a person, in order to purify himself, particularly if he is a sinner, or particularly if he has a particular sin that he has to atone for, that a person ought to actually accept upon himself active self-torment through the form of fasting, through the form of icy uh, tevila in a cold river during the winter time, And there are other examples of this as well. And this idea actually formed a central feature of the Safrut HaMusar through the Middle Ages until the time of the Gra. Uh, about the time of the Gra, the Gra and also Ramchal in his book, Mesinat Yisharim, they actually came out against this idea, explicitly and implicitly, Uh, about the Gra, it's related that he uh, himself underwent a change. In his youth, he was in favor of active asceticism. But as he uh, matured, he developed the viewpoint which we just saw here, that asceticism, physical asceticism, physical self-torment is a bad idea. For the Gra, the, the, the damage that this does is the damage to Talmud Torah. A person who suffers physically uh, is actually impairing his ability to study Torah, which is the ultimate ideal. For this and for other reasons, the Gra, and as I said, some of his contemporaries, about this time, made this change. A person can actually demonstrate his self-sacrifice for HaKadosh Baruch Hu without actually physically doing something which might even be dangerous. The idea is that a person should uh, devote all of his powers and all of his faculties to Avodat Hashem and try to restrain his passions which might lead him astray. And this is uh, torment enough. It's difficult enough for a person just to manage with this uh, mission alone. Uh, the Gra, 
uh, emphasizes many times in the this uh, topic of working on oneself, the idea of shvirat hamidot, of breaking one's bad character traits. This uh, phrase, breaking one's midot, shows us that the Gra actually is viewing this idea of moral self-improvement as a battle that a person does with himself. That within the person there are forces and things that lead him astray, and that he must continually try to work on these things. The Gra knows that this is something which can't be done right away, as he writes elsewhere, this is from his Perush on Mishrei. It's impossible for a person to go to extremes. A person has to work on himself gradually. So then the Grad does view this idea of moral self-improvement as centrally important. The Grad recommended, in general, and particularly in an important letter that he wrote to his family, once when he was on his way to Eretz Yisrael, he wrote a, a, uh, a letter, which has been reprinted numerous times, which is known as Sometimes it's called Alim Nitrufa. That's the name that it's received. Uh, a kind of... Uh, herbs that uh, are uh, medicinal herbs, alim etrufa. And in this uh, letter, he writes that a person ought to occupy himself with, this, with sifrei musar, actually learning sifrei musar. Uh, the Gravier, speaking to his wife, actually says that women, who in the Gra's conception, are, are not so much shayach to Tamil Torah, their main intellectual and spiritual pastime should be learning Musa. Uh, but the Gra recommended this even for Tamidei Chachamim as well. And he saw this as an important thing. The Gra uh, actually had a great deal of esteem for the classic work Misilat Yisharim. And it's related that the Gra said that if it were possible, he would go and personally uh, receive and do honor to the author of Mesilat Yishrim, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, whom he considered to be a person of great uh, inspiration in this area. This is important to emphasize, among other th- reasons, because in later years there was a dispute over the proper heritage of the Gra. Uh, we mentioned that the Gra was called Hagaon Chasid. There were these two sides to his personality. On the one hand, Tamu Torah, the heavy emphasis, and also the area of personal piety and devotion. Uh, in later years, about the middle of the 19th century, arose the conflict around Tnuat HaMusar. Rabbi Saul Salanter, under the, the influence of his teacher, who was a student of, of, of a student of the Gra, felt that the emphasis on Musar had to be renewed, and he made a whole movement out of this idea. And there were many who were opposed to this, and they emphasized the element of Tamil Torah, 
And to a large extent, the argument was, what is the proper way to understand the heritage of the Gra? The Gra, by that time, of course, being the central uh, dominant figure in uh, Lithuanian Torah culture. In Velazhin, for example, we have memoirs of some of the students that studied, the, studied there in the latter part of the 19th century. And one of them writes, he writes openly, the Vilna Gaon, in many quarters, is called Hagaon Echassid. But to us, in Velazhin, he was just the Gaon. Now, we ignored this whole business of the Chassidut. It didn't concern us at all. To us, the Gra epitomized the intellectual aim of Talmud Torah, and that's why we idolized him. That was his heritage for us. Of course, this says a lot about the ideology of Velazhin at that time. But, of course, uh, speaking about the Gra himself, what these other people thought, that he was a Gaon Chassid, I think more accurately represents the truth. Which brings us to uh, another question. The relationship between Talmud Torah and Yirat Shamaim, according to the Gra. Of course, of these two areas, we know that the Gra placed a heavier emphasis on Talmud Torah. And to a large extent, we know this from his own writings and from those that have come to us through Rabbi Chaim Ivalajin in several places, a person ought to be devoting most of his time to Talmud Torah. And Talmud Torah itself has a positive influence in the area of Yirat Shamayim. In other words, Barati Yitzhahara, Seichazal, Barati Torah Tavlin, the Torah to a large extent is a antidote for the Yitzhahara. A person who immerses himself into studying Dvar Hashem, this itself is a good way of doing battle with the Yitzhahara. And quantitatively speaking, there is no question that the Gra certainly thought that the main emphasis should be on Tamut Torah. Nevertheless, we can still ask, what happens if there should be some conflict? If we can locate areas or instances or cases where there might be some tension between these two things, Torah and Yirat Shamayim, and they don't exactly coincide, what happens then? I'm sure you know, for example, that the critics of the Gra and the Mitnagdim, namely the Hasidim, were critical to a large extent of this point. They claimed that this emphasis on learning on the intellectual side of, of, of Talmud Torah came to a large extent at the expense of Yirat Shamayim. And that they claimed that we see many cases where a person actually is an accomplished Talmudic scholar a Talmud Chacham, by all, by all accounts. But his Yirat Shamayim leaves much to be desired. He might be plagued with bad midot. Typically, he might be a tremendous Baal Gara. He might be proud of his intellectual prowess. And, uh, and he might be a very arrogant and repulsive person, morally speaking. 
what, what did the Grah think about this? Now, if we examine the Grah's writings, it's clear that the Grah was keenly aware of this problem. He didn't ignore it at all. And even though, as I said before, he did believe, he and his Talmud, and all those who followed his school, believed firmly that it is possible for Talmud Torah to be a positive, ethical influence, and that, that is the ideal situation, but it doesn't always work that way. For example, we have a comment of the Vilna Gaon, which is uh, quoted uh, fairly widely. An explanation of the Pasuk, Ya'arof Kamatar Likri. Moshe Rabbeinu said in Pashat Hazinu, My teaching should fall down like rain. It will fall down like rain. Torah is compared to rain. Now, what does Torah have in common with rainfall? Well, we don't have to think twice about this. Rainfall is certainly viewed as a blessing, a tremendous thing, a life-giving thing, and that's Torah, a a life-giving blessing. But the Grah had another perspective on this issue. Is rainfall always a blessing? Not necessarily, said the Grah. We naturally view rainfall as a blessing because before the rain falls, we've done our hard work. We've plowed the land, we've planted, we put good seeds into the soil, and then we anxiously await for the rain, and then when the rain comes, it's a blessing because it makes all these, all these great fruit and vegetables and wheat, all these beneficial things grow because of the rain. But, says the Grah, what happens if a person didn't do this? And the seeds that he has in his field aren't good seeds. What he has in his field are the seeds of of weeds, thorns, uh, poisonous plants. When the rain falls, that's what's going to grow. The rain itself is indifferent. Whether the rain is good or bad depends on what's planted in the soil. The Vilna went on to say, and Torah is like rain. Torah will make grow whatever there was to begin with. So if a person worked on himself, he plowed his heart, and he planted good seeds of Yerat Shemaim, Midotovot, good character traits. Then, when he learns Torah, Torah will make that grow. Torah will develop the inclination which he implanted within his heart and his mind and his soul. Torah will make that grow. And he will he'll become a great person in Torah, Yerat Shamaim, and Midotovot. But if a person did not do this, if a person has within his heart a poisonous seed, of Yetzirah and Midot Ra'ot. Learning Torah for this person will make it worse. Now, uh, this idea is 
is to be found in Chazal. We can't say that it's not found at all in Chazal. Chazal says, Zacha, Nasteh Osam Chayim. The Torah, if the person, Zacha, if he merits it, the Torah will be for him a portion of life. Fimlo Zacha, Nasteh Osam Hamavit. But the Grad develops this idea further, and he emphasizes it, and he says that really this depends on whether the person prepared himself proper, properly for the Torah. And what the Grad is saying is that learning Torah is not necessarily a good idea for everyone, and in every situation. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it can make things worse. Now coming from the Grad, with his tremendous attachment and devotion and belief in the value of Talmud Torah, this is really a, uh, a profound and, and, and perhaps unexpected thought. Uh, now this, uh, a similar idea comes through in another thing which the Gra emphasized, and that's the necessity of learning Torah Ishma. Now I should preface this uh, comment with uh, the background. Should a person learn Torah uh, only Lishma, or may he learn Torah also Shalom Lishma? Like a person who is not on the level where you can learn Torah with pure devotion and pure intention. So should he learn Torah anyway? Is that the main thing, even if his intention is not so good? Or should he desist? Now, in this matter, there is a conflict in Chazal, there is a contradiction. Uh, in one place, Chazal says, right? Whoever learns Torah with improper intention, then it's poisonous. Uh, but there is another Mamar Chazal, which says, Right? In other words, we have no choice, learn Torah, lo lishma, and eventually the Torah itself will have this spiritually uplifting effect about which we spoke earlier, and the person will be able to learn Torah, lishma. Uh, so there's this contradiction in Chazal. An important view, a prevalent view in Ishonim, that of the Balayat Hosafot, they said it depends what kind of lo lishma you're talking about. If you mean a person is actually learning Torah for a bad intention, he's using, he wants to use Torah as a means of, uh, of causing trouble, of causing foment. He wants to use, learn Torah so that he'll be able to ask Kushyot and criticize the, uh, the Rav of the Kihila, for example, and, and prove that what the Rav of the Kihila says isn't worth anything and therefore we shouldn't listen to him. Right, this is one example. If you're learning Torah for bad intention, then you shouldn't do that at all. That's poisonous. But if you're learning, learning Torah for the, pers- for the purpose of self-aggrandizement, you want people to consider you a Tamil Chacham. It's uh, socially advantageous. It'll give you prestige. Right, this is certainly not such a great intention, but Tosafot says, that's okay. In other words, if you're learning Torah for that purpose, you can learn. And eventually the hope is that you'll grow out of it. The Vilna Gaon, however, went against Tosfot in this area. And he said that a person should not learn Torah Shalom at all. In other words, uh, 
uh, even a person who is learning Torah for the purpose of prestige, this he considered to be an Isur. He said, for example, uh, a person who learns Torah litpa'er, in order to uh, be able to, to, uh, for, to for self-aggrandizement, these people are b'nei gehinom, right? This is a person who's yoresh gehinom. Uh, he's destined for purgatory. And this is a very stiff verdict uh, in and of itself, and also it's all the more remarkable in light of the fact that it's going against Tosfot. And the Marmar Chazal, which said that a person should learn Shalolishma, because Mitoch Shalolishma, Balishma, that he says, that's not talking about uh, learning for the purpose of prestige. That's learning There's a person who doesn't have any particular intention at all. He's learning because stam. He has nothing in mind. He's, he's used to learning. He's out of habit. That's what, they, that's what they do. So he does it also. But if he has any negative uh, intent at all, any negative moral intent at all, that Grah thinks that that's an Isur. Uh, now, this is very remarkable. Once again, it appears that uh, in a case where we have a conflict between Tamil Torah and Midot Tovot, the Vilngon appears to be giving the advantage to Midot Tovot. If a person is corrupt, he shouldn't learn Torah. He should only learn Torah if he can have this proper intention. But I think that the way to view this is different. The Gra, when he says that a person should learn Torah only lishma, he's actually expressing the greatest theme in which he holds Torah. It's to the contrary, because of the tremendous value, because of the tremendous religious import of Limu Torah. Therefore, the Gra insists adamantly that a person can learn Torah only with the purest of intentions. And if the person has an ego problem, which he can't overcome when learning, that person should actually not learn, because he's defiling Torah. Uh, and we can see this clearly, I think, in the writings of Rabbi Chaim Velazhin and Nefesh Chaim, who also makes a similar point, that before learning Torah, a person has to do tshuva and cleanse himself so that his Torah will be, will be pure. The, so the idea is that actually the, the Gra is viewing the element of midot tovot and pure intentions and pure character as a prerequisite for the proper learning of Torah because once again, Tamil Torah is the ultimate ideal and the ultimate uh, achievement. We've taken today a look at the Gra's views on ethics. As brief as it was, I hope it gave you uh, a good picture. Uh, next time, perhaps we'll speak a little bit more about this, but I'd like to get into the, the worldview of the Gra, how the Gra viewed life and existence, and we'll see how this worldview uh, coincides with his ethical viewpoint. And I think we'll begin to see also how his ethical and general worldview conflicts with that of the Hasidic movement.